Good morning and happy Mother's Day. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church, where we believe that faith is a journey, God is good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us toward faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all God's children. We are so happy you're here with us today to continue our journey of faith in this morning's worship service. We've increased our in-person capacity to 60, so whether you're here with us in the sanctuary this morning or watching us through our live stream, we are so excited you're here and welcome. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and I'm pleased to be leading worship this morning with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, Dr. Julia Brown, our Director of Music, and our cantors, Aaron Gilbert, Melissa Gleason, Carlos Lamagne, and Scott Bosher, our choir director. As always, Pat McGuire is the wonderful person who is behind the scenes making our live stream possible. So thank you, Pat. Our eighth graders are now deep into the confirmation process. So please remember them in your prayers and mark your calendars for our celebration of our confirmands, which will be on Pentecost Sunday, May 23rd. Special music, of course, will be part of that service as it is every week. So for a word about today's music, please welcome Dr. Julia Brown. I have two things to talk about today. First is the English composer Herbert Howells. You just heard his prelude um, from his clavichord book, uh, which is an interesting fusion of Renaissance dance music with his more modern harmonic language. Um, So what you heard in that with the modal counterpoint and novel tonal languages and plain plain chant-like melodies creates a very atmospheric music. Um, The reason I picked that for a prelude is because our anthem today during the offertory is by Herbert Howells. Um, My Eyes for Beauty Pine was written by Howells in 1925 to poetry of Robert Bridges. And underlying that poetry is a belief that God is beauty and humankind is created in that image. In Howell's music, we experience this momentary divine radiance, a mood and atmosphere that creates a spiritual vision. His music seems to point to an inner mysticism, a genuine acceptance of the fact that the finite mind cannot comprehend the infinite. And along those same lines, uh, today's middle hymn, number 43, is one that's in our hymnal but may not be totally familiar. That's because it's a fairly new hymn text. It was written by Charles Eric Lincoln. He died in 2000. And he was one of the most important authors of race during the last half of the 20th century. And he wrote this hymn in 1987 as a response Uh, to an invitation from the United Methodist Hymnal Revision Committee. Um, This committee uh, reached out to 13 poets to compose hymn text with a broad range of metaphors and images for God. And when his text was accepted, he wrote to Carlton Young, the editor of that hymnal, saying, I'm extremely grateful that this hymn found favor with the committee. 
I wanted so much to make a contribution to the uniqueness and the universality of the divine being as it should be expressed in worship. Thank you, Julia. As most of you are aware, the country of India is experiencing a devastating surge of COVID-19. Hospitals are overwhelmed in that capacity with critical shortages of medicines, beds, ventilators, oxygen, and PPE. Several of you have asked about what we're doing here at Mayflower in light of this crisis. We're connecting with an organization called Project HOPE. It's one that is making a difference in light of this. Project HOPE is coordinating with local partners and government officials to locally procure PPE and critically needed medical equipment to help India's healthcare workers respond to the dramatic spread of this disease. Interestingly, Project HOPE was founded in 1958, the same year as Mayflower, and it began with an American doctor who encountered uh, incredible suffering in the South Pacific, so he asked to partner with the U.S. Navy to get a hospital ship afloat, and here we are, the ship of Mayflower, (laughs) so it's interesting, those parallels. They are now active on site in 26 countries, and they are bringing hope and health to underserved communities around the world. So if you'd like to partner with them, we have a link and some information about that organization on our website. And please be sure to join us for our annual meeting, which will be held via Zoom on June 6th, just after our worship service. Also on June 6th, we will be celebrating Pastor Jonathan White's last official Sunday with us, although he may make a guest appearance this summer. Our annual meeting will include a celebration of his service here, and we wish Jonathan a happy, healthy, and rewarding second retirement. (laughs) But don't worry, the search committee continues its diligent work seeking our new senior pastor. They deeply appreciate your prayers for clarity and unity as they research and interview potential candidates. Also, please note that this summer at Mayflower is going to be great. We will be learning from a diverse series of guest preachers, and we're planning some fun events for the whole family. Now, today, let us recognize that the Lord is here in the beauty of this morning Come, let us worship. may we bow our hearts before God. If you're here in the sanctuary and you'd like to stand with us for the call to worship, I invite you to do that. It begins with the refrain that is in bold. Sing to the Lord a new song. The Lord has done marvelous things. God's right hand and God's holy arm have resulted in victory. Sing to the Lord a new song. The Lord has remembered the steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing to the Lord a new song. Thank you. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Holy One, on this Mother's Day, we are reminded that you are the ultimate mother. You promise us comfort, and scripture reminds us that you desire to gather us under your wing like a mother hen. May we find shelter in you in these trying days, and may we celebrate with joy the reality that you hold us near and dear to your heart. Amen.
Our first scripture this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they invited him to stay for several days. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our second scripture this morning is from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for, another, for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy One, open our ears that we may hear, our minds that we may think and critically analyze, our hearts that we may care, and our hands, so that when we leave this place, we leave in service. In the name of all that is holy, amen. In 1985, Terry Gilliam uh, wrote the script for a wonderful satirical movie on bureaucracy. It was called Brazil. You may recognize his name from Monty Python. In fact, he brought in some of the actors or comedians from Monty Python to be in the movie. And it it was just hilarious. I used it in my class in bureaucracy. Uh, for quite some time, until one day the students said, we didn't know when to laugh until you laughed. So I thought, well, maybe that wasn't getting through to them. There is a wonderful scene in the movie that just epitomizes bureaucratic inefficiency. Sam Lowell is in his apartment, but the heating system has gone crazy. And his apartment is somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 or 130 degrees. And he is just beside himself. He calls the repair service and says, I have an emergency. And the operator says, well, if you have an emergency, you have to fill out a 27B stroke 6 form. But if this is an emergency, I've you've got to get the heat turned off in my apartment. Well, sorry, you have to have a 27B stroke 6. But 27B stroke 6. And he finally just hangs up the phone, gets a chair, puts his head in the freezer, and lets the ice kind of try to cool him as he waits. Suddenly, rappelling down the side of the apartment and coming through the window is Harry Tuttle, 
played by Robert De Niro. Harry Tuttle is an underground electronic repairman. He operates outside the government bureaucracy illegally. He goes over to the air conditioner or the heating system, sees what's wrong, takes a wire, hooks it to another screw, puts it in, and says, at your service, and leaves. That'll get Sam in trouble later in the movie because there was an unauthorized repair on his heating system. But it gets to the point of bureaucracy when bureaucracy serves itself and not the purpose for which it was created. When humans created bureaucracies, they did so because complex problems needed complex solutions. Max Baber's wonderful treatise on bureaucracy certainly wasn't about inefficiency. It was about efficiency. It was to set up a rational organization. The purpose of the organization was to solve problems. And the management of the bureaucracy was not self-serving. It was rational management aimed at the problem. But so many times in bureaucracy, the organization itself becomes the end. Increasing the organization, increasing the titles, increasing the number of supervisors, and supervisors have to have employees, and employees need something to do, so you increase the bureaucracy. And we think, aha, big government, now big industry. It happens in many organizations, not just government. And it also happens in churches. I'm not talking about the person sitting in your seat when you come in a little bit late and you get angry and actually miss the service because you think, I should be sitting there. I'm not talking about the worship service that follows an order of worship time and time and time again. I'm talking about our theology. So many times we get bogged down in the bureaucracy of theology. We get so consumed by theology that we pour concrete on our theological precepts and believe that is holy. And because we're tribal people, we don't think of that so much in the 20, 21st century, but because we're tribal people, we have a natural tendency to think of the other. There's us with this theology. And then there's the other. Jesus is telling us there is no other. I wonder what happens when we bureaucratize our faith. Check off these boxes and you go to heaven. Whoops, you missed that one. Sorry, you're out. I wonder what happens. Luke wonders what happens, I think. In Luke 9, the disciples come to Jesus 
and say, Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we don't even know who he is. And Jesus says, don't worry. Those who are not against us are for us. Wow. But then in Luke 11, Jesus says, those who are not for me are against me. Okay. Which is it, Luke? Luke says, yes. It's hard to tell. Except if we look at Luke's literary purpose, we can see an answer. As we go to the second book that Luke wrote, the book of Acts, we see time and time and time again that the Christians are reaching out to the other. There's no solid theology at this point. There's no church at this point as we know the church today. There are groups of believers who gather and search in the mystery. And we get to today's story. Now, let's talk about what happened before Ruth read the passage about Cornelius' household receiving the Holy Spirit. Who is Cornelius? He is a centurion. Okay, we, we picture, okay, here's this Roman citizen, this centurion, and, and, and he is ready for, no, 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 no. How did you get to be a centurion? Step one, enlist in the Roman army. Enlistment is for 25 years. At the end of the 25 years, if you're not maimed or dead, you get a farm paid for by Rome. And you get a stipend, again, paid by Rome. If you're a centurion and not a noble, if you're a noble, you're assigned to the cavalry, but forget about Roman cavalry. It was no good. They put two guys on a horse and a four-pronged saddle, and as soon as the cavalry rode up to the enemy, they jumped off the horse and fought as infantry. Uh, Roman cavalry gets defeated a lot. But, a, but a, a soldier goes into a century. A century is composed of 80 men, 80 warriors. Why not 100? I don't know. Why did they call it a century? Beyond me. But that's the century. In charge of the century is a centurion. How did you get to be a centurion? You came up through the ranks. You worked your way there. And it meant that first you were an optio, the second in charge of a century. And then from the toughest, from the meanest, from the hardest, from the roughest optios, centurions were promoted. That's what Cornelius is. If you think of something 
other than Jesus, you might think of a centurion. And this is the person God chose to send a vision. Cornelius is a God-fearer. That means he worships the Jewish God, but he does not practice dietary laws, and he's not circumcised. But he believes in this God. And as he's praying, this tough, hardened man in the military community of Caesarea, the seat of Roman power, he has a vision. And the vision says, there's a man named Peter. Send for him. You need to talk to him. Cornelius sends for Peter. The next vision. Peter gets this message. A centurion wants to see you. Oh my. This heathen, this Roman, this professional military man wants to see me. But Peter goes. And then Peter stops and stays at the house of a tanner. That's interesting in itself as he's making this journey because a pious Jew would not want to stay in the house of a tanner, a person who deals with dead animal skins and cures dead animal skins with urine. It's not really a pleasant profession. But there's Peter staying with the tanner. And then Peter goes up on the roof of the house. Now, we might, okay, up on the roof of the house. House is hot, roof is flat. Yeah. But last week we talked about the set types in biblical literature. If you go to the Old Testament and look, when you go up on the roof, bad things happen. Ehud kills a king on the roof. David sees Bathsheba on the roof. Peter is going up on the roof. And as Rosemary Ruther says, when you see that change or one of those sacred numbers, and we're going to get the change and the sacred numbers in the story, you're going to get God talk. While Peter is on the roof, he has a vision. There's a large sheep coming down from heaven. And animals of all types, clean and unclean, according to Jewish dietary laws. Animals of all types are on this sheep. And a voice says, Peter, kill and eat. And this happens three times. There's the God talk. Three, four, seven, twelve, and derivations of those numbers in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Peter responds, Lord, I would never eat 
that which is profane. And the voice says, Do not call what I have made holy profane. And now Peter is going to Caesarea. Moved by this vision, he encounters the centurion. And we get to today's story. The centurion decides that he's going to be baptized. And of course, if he's going to be baptized, everybody in his household is going to be baptized because he's the centurion. Peter performs the baptism, and lo and behold, Gentiles, lo and behold, hardcore Roman centurions, lo and behold, they receive the Holy Spirit. The other. God has no other. The Gospel reading from John today really exhibits, as part of Jesus' farewell addresses, it really exhibits the power of not being the other. Now, if you go back a few verses from what we heard today, you know, John 14 a lot of people love that. Believe in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you? And I am the way, the truth, and the life. So many people take that and say, that's it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this concrete we poured on our theology defines that Jesus. Oh, really? Well, which Jesus is it? Is it the congregational Jesus? Well, if you've met one congregationalist, you met one congregationalist. Is it the Baptist Jesus? Is it the Catholic Jesus? The Coptic Jesus? The Islamic Jesus? The philosopher Jesus? Which Jesus is it? Our answer today, just like the vision of Cornelius and the vision of Peter, our answer today comes in the words that Ruth just read. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I want your joy to be complete. Love one another. Jesus also says, this is how they'll know you're my disciples. If you love one another. Have you ever known a person who just professes Christ and is kind of hard to get along with because they're so mean to other people? And have you ever known 
a person who is as far from Christianity as you could imagine. And they treat people with love. Isn't that a paradox? Jesus told a parable about that. Father tells two sons, go work in the field. One son says, I'm not going to work in the field. I have stuff to do. Other son, yes, sir, Dad, I'm right there, on the way. Right. The one who was on the way didn't go. The one who talked back to his father got to thinking about it and said, hmm, better go work in the field. Jesus asked the listeners, which one did his father's will? We have a lot to think about. About our theology and the other. A few years ago, friend of mine, a Lutheran pastor, I'm just going to call him Jeff because he was a pastor in this community. He's retired now. I like the sound of that. Retired? <laughs> Don't retire at Mayflower. They'll just drag you right in. <laughs> He's retired now. We're having a barbecue. It was a Friday night or a Saturday night. I can't remember. And the charcoal was going and and he was upset. I said, Jeff, what's wrong? He said, well, it was a tough day today. Two of my congregants, husband and wife, had a baby, and I was going to the hospital. And when I got there, the mother was holding the baby in tears. Dad was holding the mother in tears. And the baby was dead. Well, I held them both and I prayed for them. And then the mother handed me the baby and said, Jeff, will you please baptize her? Jeff took that baby like he had so many times before. He asked the nurse to bring water, put the water on the hospital table, prayed for the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then took his fingers, dipped it in the water, and said to the little baby, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And he kissed the baby and handed it back to the crying mother. He said, Jim, you shouldn't be upset with that. That was a good thing to do. He said, no, I'm not upset. I'm not upset about that. I stopped at church and one of the officials at church was there. And I was emotionally shaken. And I, I shared the story. The church official looked at me and said, You baptized a dead baby? Jeff said, Yeah. 
Well, what about theology? Jeff responded, to the devil with theology. So we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to see visions and dream dreams. We're called to love. I wonder if this is theology enough. This is from Brother Charles of, De- of Jesus, Charles de Foucault. And I can say that because Julia taught me how to say it before the sermon started. Here is his prayer. O Lord, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I ask no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence. For you are my God. Do we pour concrete on our theology? Or do we simply let God be God? And follow the commandment of Jesus. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. By this, they will know you are my disciples. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for the generosity that you have extended to Mayflower in these unusual days.
We look forward to, with great anticipation to what God has in store for us. If you would like to give an offering this morning, there will be baskets as you exit. You are also always welcome to give online or leave an envelope in the locked box under the portico. Thank you. Holy Lord, we stand in awe of all you have done and all you do and all you will do in us and through us. Help us to be faithful stewards and a blessing to others. Amen.
And now, please join your hearts with mine as we pray our congregational prayer. God of all creation, thank you for bringing us to this time and this place. Thank you for ushering us into your holy presence on this day. It is an honor to be able to bring our praise and our petitions to you. We are mindful this morning of how doctrine and theology really our limited understanding of the mystery that is you, is to bring us freedom, not to bind us in necessary shackles or concrete. May the Holy Spirit be unleashed in our lives, and may we be filled with the joy that comes from you. And Lord, may we bear the kind of fruit that lasts, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The world so desperately needs us to bring this kind of fruit to the tables where we are seated. And Lord, it's Mother's Day. And for many, this is a wonderful day spent with family and filled with flowers and gifts and joy. So we thank you and praise you that this is true for many people. We must acknowledge that this holiday is, for others, a dark reminder of loss. This day can be a painful one of grief, questions, or unresolved anger. In our humanity, Lord, there is a lot of brokenness, and there are many mother wounds that we carry. So please be with those who need your gentle hand of comfort and peace in this time. And please remind us again that you are the ultimate mother, the perfect mother, the one who is the ultimate source of love. We also hold this morning the pain of a world that is suffering. And we pray for India and we pray for Brazil and other areas in the world where COVID's ugly surge continues. We pray for health and we pray for healing. We pray for Project Hope and the other organizations and first responders. May they have what they need to be bearers of hope and to be ushers of healing and comfort. As citizens of this globe, remind us that you made the whole world and you love it so much. And may we follow you in our care and compassion for those around us and those far away. Fill us with hope and grant us a vision for the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. Oh, Lord, these are many prayers, but we pray that you hear them. As we continue to seek your peace, Lord, let us all pray with one heart the prayer Jesus taught the disciples. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. For those of you who are streaming, we have room in the sanctuary, and it is good to see people here. We invite you to this holy place, and we worship with you this morning. Now, children of God, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let us love one another, that our joy may be complete. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 